Ephesians 6 is our text for today. We will be looking at verses 10 through the first part of verse 18. This is God's holy word. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. Heavenly Father, I ask you to add your blessing and the presence of your sweet Holy Spirit to our reading and our teaching and our study of your word. May we apply this in a way that magnifies you, honors Christ, of course, helps us to grow and be the church you want us to be. We plead in the name of Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. All right. um, I have a confession to make. As a child growing up in the Midwest, I was a huge fan of professional wrestling. I remember talking my mom into taking me to the arena one evening to see an epic tag team battle between Andre the Giant and the Million Dollar Man as the bad guys. They faced Hacksaw Jim Duggan and the WWF heavyweight champion Hulk Hogan as the good guys. And you can only imagine the contest. Sometimes the good guys did well. Other times the bad guys had it their way. But the more the crowd cheered him on, the stronger Hulk Hogan seemed to get. And eventually, all the little Hulkamaniacs in the arena, and I was one of them, were able to help their champion to dig down deep to drop the leg and pin the million-dollar man. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you have no idea right now. We love you all. Why in the world would I bring that up? I would suggest to you that though it may seem strange, a professional wrestling match bears a lot of similarity to the the ways that many Christians think about spiritual warfare. And if you don't think that's true, you have clearly never read Frank Peretti's novel, This Present Darkness. I do not recommend that book to you, by the way. In that book... If you read that book against my recommendation, Christians 
come to the aid of the angels to strengthen them to be able to defeat the demons through the use of prayer and powerful Christian practices. The novel presents the unseen spiritual battle as something spectacular. It goes back and forth as we either help or hinder our heroes. You know, as the letter of Paul to the Ephesians is drawing to a close, the Lord is going to turn our minds for just a moment to the topic of spiritual warfare. And God wants to make sure of a couple of things. He wants to be sure that you don't let yourself think for a moment spiritual battles are not going on because they surely are. But neither does God want you to think that you've got to learn secret Gnostic words, hidden prayer tactics, or strange spiritual incantations for, so that you can help an angel body slam a demon to win the day. In this letter, friends, God has shown us the gospel and its implications. Implications. God has shown us how to live as believers in the light of the gospel. And now he's going to call you and me to rely on the gospel and to live out the gospel and to stand firm in our spiritual battle. In the message today, if you were a note taker, you'll find three points. And the final point will give you the seven tools that we will use in spiritual warfare, tools that we call the armor of God. So let's get started. Point number one. Find your strength in God's strength. Verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. The final section here, the final section that walks us into spiritual warfare is God calling us to be strong. Look at those strength words right there. Do you see some strength words there? Be strong. In the strength of his might. Very strong words, right? We need to be strong, quite strong, in order to live out our lives as Christians. But I'm guessing that's not a big surprise to you, is it? This world's pretty hard, right? There is persecution. There is temptation. There are politics. We need to love in the church. We need to live as faithful family members. So, of course, we need strength. That's not a surprise. And we will struggle without strength. That's not a surprise. And this would be very discouraging to hear, hey, you need to be strong. You want to fight in a big spiritual you know, battle. You need to get strong. That's actually not necessarily encouraging. For many people, it's discouraging. If you feel like you don't have a lot of strength, it's discouraging for someone to say, hey, be strong. But don't despair. Are you weak? Do you feel like you lack the strength to do what you ought to do? Notice the other important emphasis here. You are to be strong in the Lord. The strength you need is His might. I, I almost decided to, to act out this illustration, but we're not going to. But I want you to imagine an old-fashioned tug-of-war. How many of you all have ever been in a tug-of-war before? Yeah, okay, all right. So I want you to imagine 
that I have Josiah on the one side, and on the other side, I put Owen. And I say, boys, have at it, tug of war. Now, it's not completely fair, is it? Josiah's like four years older than Owen. He's bigger, he's stronger right now. Owen's pretty tough, but it's not fair. In his own strength, Owen's not going to win that fight. But what if I were to join in on Owen's side? Now, Josiah's pretty big and pretty strong, but he's not going to pull me off my feet just yet. If nothing, for no other reason, just dad willpower, he's not going to do it. The dads in the room know exactly what I'm talking about. Now, if we're doing the tug of war, though, I still want Owen to stand. And I want him to pull. I want him to be strong. But the job he has will be to be strong in my strength. You get it? Christian, you are called by God to be strong. And it's vital that you stand strong. Obeying the commands of God requires strength. Facing down persecution and temptation requires strength. Dealing with the day-to-day news of this weird world we live in requires strength. But the good news is, though you are called to be strong, the strength you need is not your own. God says he wants you to be strong in his strength, in his mighty power. So as we get started, I want you to make a little mental shift right here. Find your strength in God's power. Spiritual warfare is not about you mustering up the strength to do something great. It's about trusting in and following your Lord as you rely on his unlimited strength. Again, guys, I know how discouraging life can be right now. If your faith is not allowing you to find your strength in the Lord, if you're looking somewhere else to have the strength to stand, you're missing what God wants of you. Find your strength in his strength. Now, second, point number two, know that your battle is spiritual. Know that your battle is spiritual. 11 through 13 says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. So now Paul introduces to us a metaphor. Please understand this is a metaphor. This is an illustration that we're about to study here. It is a figure of speech to help us think with Paul about standing strong. Paul tells Christians, if you want to stand strong, put on the armor of God. And we're going to get to the description of the armor components in the third point. But first, God wants you to think about the opponent you're going to face. Is it, does it matter if you think about who your opponent is and how they work? Anybody ever study the American Revolution, the Revolutionary War? British soldiers thought that they would march up into open fields and the other army would march up 
across from them in ranks and they would shoot each other like gentlemen. And we Americans didn't do that. The Americans hid behind trees and they shot and they ran and they used, honestly, what our guerrilla warfare tactics. And it took the British a long time, a long time to, over, to, to realize what was happening. And by then it was really too late. And that, had the British understood their enemy, had the British thought well about who we are, that war could have turned out very differently. But they didn't think about the enemy and the enemy's tactics. Christians, we're living in a battle that it's not a physical battle. We're doing spiritual battle. And the opponent that you and I are to armor ourselves against is the devil and his wicked schemes. We face an evil opponent, a spiritual opponent, and a very real, very dangerous opponent. The material world is quite real. Your body, what you do with it matters. But you should never allow yourself to forget there's a spiritual world around you that is exactly as real. Some people around you will scoff at that notion. We have to realize, however, that God and angels and demons and the devil all exist even if they cannot be seen, touched, or proved in a laboratory. So quick question, what are, what are the demons? We're talking about the devil and demons. What are demons? Wayne Grudem in his Systematic Theology book says, quote, Demons are evil angels who sinned against God and who now continually work evil in the world. Grudem goes on to say, like angels, they are also created spiritual beings with moral judgment and high intelligence, but without physical bodies. The devil, sometimes called Satan, he is the head, the chief of the demons, the original leader of the demonic rebellion against God and God's plan. The devil is limited. And he is in no way equal with God. Though the devil might be powerful, he is not all powerful like God is. Though the devil moves about our world, he is not everywhere present like God is. Though the devil is old and clever, he does not know everything like God does. The devil is a formidable enemy. Bent on destroying you, bent on killing you, bent on stealing your joy. But the devil is a defeated, so, uh, defeated foe who can never ultimately win. What Paul says here in this verse is that the, the devil, our enemy, it's the devil and all the ranks of demons in his service. Right? See those terms? Rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, spiritual forces of evil. Th th those are just words that indicate some type of organization, some type of structure or hierarchy to the evil forces. Think like military ranks almost. But those words really don't give us a lot of data to go on beyond the fact that there are different levels or whatever of these forces. Paul points out to you and me, the demons are in the spirit world around us and God wants you to know that you're battling against them. We fight like soldiers. We wrestle against them like combatants in the arena. Now here's the big question. How do you do it? How do you face them? 
Look at what we've seen in verses 10 through 13. Be strong in God's mighty strength. Stand strong. Stand firm. Withstand the attacks. And twice we're told, take up or put on the whole armor of God. We stand strong in God's strength with tools that God has provided for us so we can stand and not fall. Now let me ask you, you just heard that. How, how technical and descriptive was that for you? How many of you thought, well, now that you said that, I totally understand what to do. It's not there, is it? And I would not serve you faithfully if I said to you, well, let me tell you what all that means now. Because it's not there. This is not descriptive. It's more of a motivational statement than a textbook on how to fight. There aren't tactics in this. So what do you take from these verses, Christians? You live in a real world. You live in a real world with real spiritual enemies. You have God's strength and God's armor to help you to stand. And you should not ignore the devil and you should not ignore his schemes, but neither should you let yourself be fascinated by the demons. Just stand by God's power and not your own, using God's defenses and not your own, for God's glory and not your own. Know that your battle is spiritual. Okay, so what do we do? Remembering that this is all in God's strength and power, not your own power, here's what you do. Point number three, fight the battle. Are you ready for this? Fight the battle with ordinary... Christian faith and obedience. Please write that down. That is the point of this passage. Fight the battle with ordinary Christian faith and obedience. Verse 14 to 18, again, what do they say? Stand, therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and have as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. Okay, Paul. You got our attention. We got to fight this spiritual battle. We've got to use God's strength. What do we do, Paul? And right here, many folks expect some flashy, dramatic thing. In fact, there are many people who have preached this section as something flashy and dramatic. Paul gives you seven pieces of spiritual armor that you can don in order to defeat the devil. Now, right away I want to point us away from three mistakes that people will often make when they deal with this passage. One, one danger, is that people get lost in the metaphor. I have heard sermons, I've heard in fact, I had one entire spiritual like, retreat weekend that I spent listening to people teach this passage, but spending the vast majority of their time describing in great detail the armor of a Roman soldier and its function in a battle. 
And that stuff is interesting. I will say, I like history, so that's kind of cool. But Paul is in no way trying to take us to a place where we get lost in a deep discussion of different kinds of shields, different shapes of swords, and just why a soldier's shoes were helpful. That is not the point of this passage. As a side note, some people will say to you, Paul looked at the Roman soldier chained to him in his house, saw the soldier's armor, and then used that metaphor to teach us. That would be a very weird circumstance because ain't no way the soldier that was in Paul's house keeping him from running away had a shield like the, sol- like the one described here. It's a five-foot-tall shield. I doubt that soldier had that to keep Paul penned up in the living room. A second mistake is to spiritualize things and make this spiritual battle some sort of dramatic, charismatic power encounter. Listen to me here. Listen to the list of things that you are supposed to use to defeat the devil. I want you to take the big, bold battle imagery out of your mind for just a second and hear the tools as a list. Ready? Here's what you use for spiritual warfare. Truth, righteousness, gospel readiness, faith, salvation, scripture, and prayer. Did you hear that list? Which of those sounds like something, ooh, new and secret? Anything? Which of those sounds like something fancy and spectacular and earth-moving? Which of those makes you think that you're about to step through the ropes into a big wrestling ring so you can punch a demon in the face? What does that list sound like? It's a list of ways that you practice genuine, ordinary Christian obedience and faith. Faithful, ordinary Christianity defeats the devil. That, by the way, might be the best thing you can hear all day. The third mistake I want you to avoid, and it's the most common one of all, Do not read this passage as a list of things that you do by your power to defeat the devil in your strength. This is the armor. Whose armor is it? The armor of? It's God's armor. And every piece of this armor is a thing that God has given to you already if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. So what then? Are we supposed to work and put these armor pieces on? Or are we supposed to rest in the fact that God has already given them to us? Which would you say? Work and put them on or rest in the fact that God has given them to you? Yes, it's both. (laughs) You do both, don't you? Think about your Christian growth for a minute. God works in you to sanctify you. Yes, it is God's responsibility to see you sanctified, right? But you're called also to work for your growth, aren't you? There we go. God gives you the armor. And it's your job to put the armor on through minds and actions of ordinary, faithful Christian obedience. So now let's look at the seven pieces, the seven tools in the spiritual battle. And let's see them both as things that the Lord has already given you and as acts of Christian obedience that will help you to stand in God's strength. So first... Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, verse 14 
A. Now, the armored soldier needed his belt. Why? I think it's pretty obvious, don't you? He needed, well, his belt did help him carry a sword. And his belt would keep his clothes from tangling, tangling up in his legs in a fight. But it, that's all you need to know. Paul uses the fact that the belt was necessary to speak to you and me about something that you and I have to have in our lives if we're going to defeat the devil. We must have truth. Now, on the one hand, truth is a thing that belongs to God and you and I cannot change it. Aren't you glad about that? Truth is... See if you like this as a definition. What is truth? Truth is reality as God sees it. Would that work for you? My opinion and your opinion, these opinions do not matter one ounce when it comes to genuine objective truth. By the way, Jesus even said that he is the truth in John 14, 6. Truth is how God sees the world. And any claim that goes against what God declares is not truth. Christians, you've got to embrace that. The world right now is saying things to you and to me over the airwaves and on the internet and everywhere else that the world just says everybody knows this is true. And when the world says that everybody knows it, but it's a thing that God says is wrong, guess what? God's right, the world's wrong. Any claim that goes against what God declares is not truth. God can never and will never lie. The truth is unchanging. The truth belongs to God. But we also put on the armor of God as we apply truth, right? When the devil would attack you with lies, it is a glorious thing to rest in and rely on the truth of God. When the world would say to you and to me, there is no God, it's a good thing for us to know the truth that God is. If a philosopher would say to you that there is no such thing as absolute truth, it's a good thing for you to have the solid rock of truth upon which to rest your hope. To wear the belt, in, belt of truth means in part that you rest in God's truth. You rely on God's truth. You do not let the lies of the devil or the confusion of the world throw you, and it means that you work as a Christian to know and to embrace truth. You study the Word of God. You set your mind on the things that God says are true, even when the world opposes them. And that's a way that you resist the devil. That's a way you do spiritual battle. One more element of how to wear the belt of truth. If you want to wear the belt of truth, live an honest life. Christians must not be people who spout lies. Do not participate in shady dealings. Don't trim the truth. Live as a genuine, honest person so that your character will reflect the character of God who never lies. Then verse 14 goes on to say, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Obviously a soldier would wear a breastplate in order to protect his body from his enemies. No soldier would be without that protection. 
And in our spiritual battle, just as no soldier would ever go in there without his armor, no Christian should be without righteousness. Again, first side. Whose righteousness are we talking about? You need God's righteousness, don't you? One of the most glorious truths in all of Scripture is the truth that in Christ, God sees those who have come to Christ as righteous. God, well, let me just make sure. How many of you all are genuine saved believers in the Lord Jesus? Okay, I'm talking to you guys. God not only forgives us of our sin, that's good, but God applies the perfection of Jesus Christ to our account so that there is no longer any negative listed against us in his court. He sees us, when he looks at our case, as possessing the very perfection, the very law-fulfilling life of Jesus. How's that for good news for the day? 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. Why? So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You know, part of the breastplate of righteousness is understanding and resting in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We have much stronger spiritual walks. We experience much greater spiritual victories when we remember that we have already been given the righteousness of Jesus Christ. But there's work we can do in this area too, isn't there? Now, I cannot make myself more righteous before the Lord in a legal sense. Why can't I make myself more righteous in a legal sense? I got Jesus' righteousness. I can't beat that. I can't improve on perfection. But I can live more and more to match the righteousness that the Lord says that I already have. The more that my life is lived in conformity to the commandments and the ways of the Lord, the more I wear the, the breastplate of righteousness. It sounds simple, but it's true. Christian, when you examine your life, just ask this question, is this righteous? No, you don't live rightly to get God to love you more. You can't do that. God loves you as much as is possible. But if you want to have the joy of honoring God, right? If you want the, the, the experience of victory in the spiritual battle against the evil one, you will seek day by day to put on righteous deeds and righteous thoughts. And again, think about that. When you think about your day, when you think about your morning, when you think about your evening, when you think about your attitude and your mood, is it righteous? It might be righteous that you look at something and say, this thing was wrong and I dislike it. But it may not be righteous to let it eat you up. It may be righteous to have a nice meal, but it may not be righteous to overspend or to be a glutton. You work it through and you'll put on the belt of, or the breastplate of righteousness. Now next, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Verse 15. A soldier would not want to get in the battle and then slip and fall down because his shoes were bad. 
He wouldn't want to march for miles with hurting feet. So we know that shoes are vital to a soldier's uniform. And just as vital in your life and mine is gospel readiness. Again, is it pretty easy to see how there's some part of this that just belongs to God and it's a thing that we just rest in? I hope you see that, right? The gospel's God's. It's not yours. It's God's property. We did nothing to cause the gospel. What is the gospel, by the way? It is good news. You're right about that. Starts with, who should, who should the gospel begin with? Let's start with God, right? The gospel starts with God. God is holy. That's a good starting point, right? Okay. What about you and me? We are sinners deserving the judgment of God. What did God do? God sent Jesus Christ to be our Savior through his life, death, and resurrection. And everyone who will turn from their sin and trust in Christ is saved by God's grace. Does that sound like good news to you? I hope so. Knowing and loving that gospel makes us ready for the spiritual battle. How? It reminds us of the ground upon which we stand. I don't stand before God on my own righteousness or goodness. I stand in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone. See, the devil cannot successfully denounce me before God because the gospel says I am hidden in the perfect sacrificial death and glorious resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's true for you too, if you know Jesus. But there's something we do with these shoes, right? You should, Christian, if you're a Christian, be ready to share the gospel, right? It is my job to know the gospel and to willingly offer the grace of Jesus Christ to the rest of the world. I want other people to be saved. I want other people to have life. And I know that all who will come to Jesus will be saved. So I do my very best, if I'm doing what God tells me to do, if my feet are fitted, I do my best to fight the spiritual battle in the world we live in when I prayerfully, faithfully share the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ with other people. Let me ask you, Christians, do you know the gospel well enough to share it? Think about that. If a person was to ask you, what must I do to be saved? Do you honestly think you would know how to answer them? And do you pray for gospel opportunity? If not, you need to start. Study the scriptures, learn the gospel, and pray to be able to share it with others. Build, build genuine friendships with other people and bring the gospel to bear. You know, a friend of mine who I visited a couple weeks ago in Michigan, his church has people doing something. I'm going to try to get us to adopt one day. It's, he, he said, just, I, I want you to, to choose your one, or maybe choose your two. And you just ask the church, really, for a season of time, pick a person that you know, maybe it's a neighbor, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a coworker, and genuinely commit yourself to prayer for that person and to pray that the Lord would open up gospel opportunities that you might share the gospel with that person. It's something simple, but it's a great idea to remind you, you should be praying 
for the chance to speak the good news to other people. Verse 16 then says, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Again, Roman soldiers, when they were on the battlefield, some would carry a big shield to hide behind when arrows would fly towards them. Again, th that shield, if it was sitting on the ground, would be this tall. It would be, you know, a, a good, you know, five-foot-ish, four-and-a-half-foot-ish tall piece of wood or hide that they would put in front of them. And they could just hide, duck behind it, like, kind of like carrying a little half of a door around, if you will, so that they wouldn't take arrows. And that was a necessary part of winning the battle. But just as necessary for you and me is faith. Faith is a genuine trusting in God so that your life changes as you rely on Him. And faith is a gift God gives us to save our souls. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. You guys know those verses, don't you? For by grace you have been saved through what? For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. We stand in the spiritual battle because of the saving faith that God has given to us in Christ. If you've believed, I want you to remember your, your faith is a gift given to you by God. And that faith, it will guard you when the devil would attack you with lies that would cause you to turn away from the Lord or to believe yourself beyond the reach of God's grace. And faith is also a thing that you are required to have. Though God gifts you with faith, you can do stuff to strengthen your trust in the Lord. What would you do to strengthen your faith? Well, read scripture, prayer, attending worship, participating in Lord's Supper, accountability, fellowship. Every one of those things can help you grow in your faith so that you might better stand in a hard, harsh world. What else do we wear? Take the helmet of salvation, verse 17. I don't need to tell you what a helmet is, do I? This verse is a great way to remember, by the way, that these pieces of armor are not things that you drum up for yourself by your own effort. As a Christian, you don't go out and put on new salvation every day. In Isaiah 59, verse 17, we see the prophet tell us that the Lord has the helmet of salvation. And for you and me, for you and me, salvation is a gift given to us by the Lord so that we can stand against the enemy of our souls. But if we're going to stand against the enemy of our souls, we have to be truly saved. You must be forgiven by God and protected by God if you're going to stand against your enemy. So how then would you put the helmet of salvation to use day by day by day? Because you sh you, you're not going to get saved more than one time. It only happens once, folks. But you know what? You can live more in the light of your salvation, can't you? You can remember the gospel. You can remember the grace of Jesus Christ. You can be faithful and thankful and grateful for the mercy of the Lord. One of the names for the devil means accuser. The devil loves to discourage us because of our sin and our guilt. You ever have one of those moments where you do something dumb? 
And you, it just eats you up for like more than a day because you feel like you've done something dumb. Just, just me? Okay. Uh, I have. And the devil loves to remind you that you are not at all worthy of the love of the Lord. He'll remind you your failures, your sinners. You're worthy of the wrath of God. You know, Martin Luther used to speak about the devil would come to him and accuse him of sins. Here's a quote from Luther. When I awoke last night, the devil came and wanted to debate with me. He rebuked and reproached me, arguing that I was a sinner. To this I replied, tell me something new, devil. I already know that perfectly well. I have committed many a solid and real sin. Indeed, there must be good and honest sins, not fabricated and invented ones, for God to forgive for his beloved son's sake, who took all my sins upon him, so that now the sins I have committed are no longer mine, but belong to Christ. This wonderful gift of God I am not prepared to deny in my response to the devil, but want to acknowledge and confess. End quote. Wearing the helmet of salvation, we can look to Jesus, see the price that was paid for our sin, remember that it is indeed finished, and we can stand strong. We don't have to pretend that we're not guilty of failing. Have you ever tried to pretend you weren't guilty? Come on, be honest, you have. And if you haven't, you have children, and they surely have. We don't have to do that. We, instead of pretending we're not guilty, we declare that our only hope for our entire eternity is bound up in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. The helmet of salvation does not allow me to pretend that I'm not a sinner. Instead, the helmet of salvation defeats our enemy by pleading guilty to his accusations while simultaneously resting in the fact that the price has already been paid. And then Paul adds, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, verse 17 some people will take a great deal of time speaking about the fact that this is the only offensive weapon on the list, and maybe that's a significant thing, but I think the greatest significance here is the fact that the Word of God is an indispensable weapon in our war against the evil one. The Scripture is complete. The Scripture is perfect. We do not add to it. We do not take away from it. Go back and listen to those early sermons in the month of August where we looked back at the Scripture in Psalm 1 and Psalm uh, 19. Neither should we be looking for ways for God to give us words of knowledge or words of power that are not in the Word of God. You've got what you need in Scripture. Instead, we, if, if we want to stand strong in the spiritual battle, we must become people of the book. See, we love the Word of God. We learn the Word of God. We obey the Word of God. We listen to the Word of God preached. We allow the Word of God to show us the truth of God so that we're not deceived by the devil's lies. And the last thing on the list is a topic we're going to address in the final message in our series there's no armor piece tied to it. It's just prayer. 
praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. We need to be a people of prayer to live spiritually strong lives. And we're going to leave that one for next week. Now, Christians, stop and think with me. How do you battle in God's strength and not your own? How do you face down the spiritual enemy? What does God want you to use to beat the devil in this hard world? God tells you, God says, here's the secret. Here are the weapons. Get ready. And then he says, truth, righteousness, gospel readiness, faith, salvation, scripture, prayer. None of these are mystical. None of them would excite a person who's looking to body slam a demon in a power encounter. But every last one of these things is a part of faithful Christian living. And each one of them is a part of the grace that God has already given you. If we want to stand strong in this fallen world, we rest in Jesus Christ even as we strive to grow in acts of ordinary, simple Christian faith and obedience. So I would urge you, rest in Christ and ask the Lord, how can I magnify each of these areas in my day-to-day life? And as we close, I want to remind you this. If you do not have the salvation the Lord offers in Jesus Christ, you're going into battle with no helmet on your head. You will die. So I urge you. I don't care if you're watching this from the other side of the world or the other side of town, or you're right here in this room and you've been a church member for all your life, listen, you must turn to Jesus, believe in Jesus, and ask him for grace. Surrender your life to Jesus. You cannot run your own life. You must surrender to Jesus. And then you will have the forgiveness that you need to be able to live in the joy of the Lord and to stand in the face of a spiritual enemy who wants to destroy you. Come to Jesus and don the armor of God. Will you pray with me, friends? Father, as we bow one more time, we ask you, Lord, Please, God, help us to have salvation in Christ and to rest in that salvation. Help us to have lives that magnify the grace of Jesus Christ so that we might be strong and have the joy that he gives to us. Father, if anyone has heard this and they're not yet a believer, I pray you will draw them to yourself. If anyone has heard this and is a believer who's struggling, I pray you will encourage them. Help us to be a faithful church full of Christians armored in the gospel grace of the Lord Jesus. And it's in his holy name we pray. Amen.